Hello, Michelle Laurie here, and as promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane, and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio, or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you, sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so you know we love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian True Crime Live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. We acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which this podcast is recorded. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and to Aboriginal elders emerging. Hi friends, our patrons scored a couple of extra bits and pieces this week, including an extra episode of Australian True Crime, an extra missing persons interview and their own newsletter jam-packed with true crime articles and extra info from our podcast guests. You'll be able to access all of it if you sign up now at patreon.com forward slash Pod. just like these good people, Nora Holston, Shari Taylor. Oh, Shari, you sound like the temptress in a good crime story. Gail Russell Baker, you sound like a good lawyer in a crime story. Yvonne Constantine, I won't cast the whole story, I'll just crack on. Harriet Weir, Laura Kennedy, Ash Curtis, Mel Dobbs, Katie Spackman. I mean, how good are the names though? Mark, you know, 
I'm going to need a surname, Mark. Chrissy Waldron. Peter Andre. I'm not even joking, except that it's Peter, P-E-T-A, Lady Peter. I love that. Hi, I'm Peter Andre. How good is your life? Laura or Elizabeth K. McMillan. Elizabeth K. Well done. Karen Bruce. Roe Cashin. Tanya Cook. Bree Dyson. Jamie Lee Hookins. Jamie Lee Hookins and Elizabeth K. McMillan need to be together, working, solving crimes. Okay, I'm casting again, but it's just too good. And Esther Wright. I think Esther is the lady who comes to you needing help. Okay, that's the cast. On with the show. The following podcast contains content of a graphic, violent nature and is not suitable for children. We had a pretty rough upbringing. It wasn't conventional. And Karen went through a lot before she even got to adulthood. And I was just so angry that the way she went out, she just tried so hard and she'd been through so much to be degraded the way she was in death. Uh, made me so bloody angry. It still does, makes me so angry because what right has someone got to do that when they're fighting so hard to have a decent life? My sister's fighting hard. She, was, she wasn't perfect, but she was my sister and I loved her and she loved those kids. We often talk about the ripple effect of violent crime on this show and never has a guest demonstrated the enduring torment of those left behind more than today's guest, Evelyn Clough. Evelyn lost the person who meant the most to her in the world in February 1993, her sister Karen. Karen's three children, one of whom Evelyn helped raise, were also murdered that night. And as if that wasn't traumatic enough, the attack on Karen and her family was so horrific that many of the details have been sealed by the court, particularly the details of what happened to the youngest victim. And while the case has certainly never been forgotten, few people remember the names of the victims. They refer to the night instead by the terrible nickname, the Greneth Family Massacre. The victims' names were Karen McKenzie, 31, and her children Danny, 16, Amara, 7, and Katrina, 5. This is Australian True Crime with Michelle Laurie and Emily Webb. Come with us as we go beyond the news cycle to find out how people become killers, how people become victims, and what happens next. Greneth is a small coastal town just south of Geraldton in Western Australia, 400 kilometres north of Perth. Karen, who was famous for her happy, friendly personality, had only recently moved into the house just outside of town when her sister Evelyn, who was still back in Queensland, received a frightening phone call from their brother. My husband and I and all our girls, we were in Queensland. That's where we're originally from. Yeah, so... When I when the, the when I found out about it, it was like my brother rang me up on the phone. And he said, oh, "I've heard on the radio that um, someone the same age as Karen and the kids has been um, killed in in Geraldton or Greneth, and um, he wanted me to 
try and contact her because I had her phone number. And so, um, yeah, I tried ringing and all that sort of stuff. And the phone, one time it would ring, then it would be engaged, and it would ring, then it would be engaged. So I rang my brother back and told him that we had to go because we had we had karate schools at the time. And so we had to go and do our classes. And then I said I'd try when we come back. Came back and t- kept trying again. And uh, I rang the police station in Geraldton and asked them, I told them who I was and could they let me know if that was my family that was involved and that sort of stuff. And they said, to, they asked me my name and everything like that again and gave them all the information, but they wouldn't tell me anything. And I got off the phone and I said to my hubby, I said, I'm, I'm starting to really get concerned now because they didn't say yes and they didn't say no. And we'd recorded the news that night and we were watching the news and I saw this house and I'd never I'd never seen a picture of my sister's house before and I um I saw that house and I don't know why I just knew it was her house and I said to my husband I said um I said I I said that's them I know it's them and I said I said to them, I said to my hubby, I said, that's them. I said, ring the police station, please, and find out for me. And um, I had to go up the hallway for something, and I was doing something. I came back down, and he'd got through to the police station, and he was telling them, look, this is this is who we are, this is what we believe. Can you please give us information, because we've just believed that we saw my sister's house on the thing. And I was standing behind him at the time and um, just his reaction, he went like this, he went. <sighs> and as soon as he did that, I just lost it because <sighs> I knew. Yeah, so then um, they confirmed it and then he, he hung up and then I had to start informing my family. I had to find out where my mum was because she'd just come down here actually for a holiday to down to, Melbourne. down to Melbourne and I had no idea where she was. Yeah, so it was a bit of messing around to try and let everyone know. Some people didn't believe me and said, oh, yeah, sure, you know. And I'm like, yeah, like I'd be lying about something like this. And then um, when I finally got hold of my mum, uh, just as I was telling her, what happened, the police turned up on my doorstep to tell me um, what, what, you know, to phone the police station in Geraldton, and I said, I already have. So that's how I found out. Danny, from the age of two, lived with us, or, well, with us, I say, with my mum until he was 16, on his 16th birthday. Um, He wanted to go over and because in Queensland, obviously, he wanted to go and live with his mum and his sisters because my sister was only 15 when she had him. Mm-hmm. And um, and I encouraged him. Yeah. I said, you know, you go and get to know your mum. You know, yeah. go get to know your sisters, go get to know your mum. And he was a little shit of a kid when he... Because when, <laughs> I used to have to look after him and everything like that. He never used to go to school and he's still wagging. I was like, you little <laughs> bugger, you know. He used to drive me insane because I was... I, even though when I'd moved out 
um, from home. I still took him to school and preschool and that sort of stuff. And uh, so he was pretty close to my two oldest daughters because there wasn't much age difference. Yeah. And he, um, we, <laughs> he, he turned 16. He said, I've got the money to go over and see mum and the girls now. And I said, you do it. I said, don't, t- don't put it off, you do it. And that was December. Yeah. By February he was dead. My mum turned around and said, it's your fault. No. Oh, God. She said, it's your fault. You told him to go. I found out that when I get into a highly stressful situation that I actually got karma because I had to do what I had to do. Mm. Um, uh, So it doesn't make it any easier, but that's how I react to major trauma, I suppose. Um, So that's what I did. At any point, or at what point, I guess, did you wonder who would murder my sister and her children? Why would anybody do that? I could, I could never understand. I mean, I know this is a terrible thing to say, but people get murdered all the time, and unfortunately, it's true. But I can never understand why people do it. But how could they do it to little children? Yeah, you know, I mean, it's bad enough that they do it to adults, but how can you go into a child's room it's still little babies to me you know you go into a child's room and they're sleeping and they're not doing anything and they can't hurt you in any way shape or form how can you do that yeah Yeah, I I, I feel like some people maybe expect other people to be murdered for various reasons or circumstances in their lives or if you if you have a relative who's a criminal or deals drugs or something I don't know but I feel like you must have at some point thought, who, how, who? I did many times. Yeah. You know, and we had a pretty rough upbringing. Right. It wasn't conventional. <laughs> uh, um, and Karen went through a lot before she even got to adulthood. And I was just so angry that the way she went out and the things that happened to one of my nieces... It just made me so angry that that she, well, my sister, had fought hard. She was buying her own house. She was trying to make a life with her and the kids, and she she just tried so hard. And she'd been through so much to be degraded the way she was in death. Uh, made me so bloody angry still does makes me so angry because what right has someone got to do that when they're fighting so hard to have a decent life my sister's fighting hard she was she wasn't perfect but she was my sister and I loved her and she loved those kids and it just breaks my heart that that after all she'd been through that she went out that way You're the family spokesperson, aren't you, essentially, for your sister? I'm the one that's always done the fighting. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's yeah. interesting that you feel. Why do you feel like it's a fight? What What's the battle that you're fighting here? It comes down to the fact that the prisoners seem to have all the 
all the help, all the assistance. Um, they're looked after better than um, than the victims and the families. We're left floundering and have to fight our own way through. Um, lots of families don't survive this sort of thing, mm-hmm. and it, it takes a, a terrible, massive toll on the family. I can remember once it come up to the 20th anniversary and my hubby said, this is never going to end, is it? And as long as the person that killed my sister and the kids is alive, it's not going to end. It's just a continual battle to keep them in jail. Yeah, so that's what you do. It's not something I'm going to give up on, that's for sure. What's the minimum period of incarceration that this person has received? Uh, he was given 20 years strict security, which meant he had to do 20 years. He's done 20 years now. So then he has the right to apply for parole every three years, which means that I have to fight every three years and go through the whole scenario of everything that happened and everything over and over again, doing interviews and that sort of stuff to keep it in public knowledge to keep him in jail. And uh, that's what I do. Yeah, so I kept fighting and tried to get laws changed in WA, which just happened last year, actually, on my nephew's birthday mm-hmm. <laughs> for multiple killers. There's certain criteria, but he's one of the ones that now the Attorney General can say that he won't be released. He can't have the opportunity to apply for parole while an Attorney General's in. He can say, no, don't let that person come up for parole and it just keeps continuing. If that Attorney-General goes out and another one says it, well, then, you know, so... So you don't have to go through the whole parole process. The Attorney-General can just say, no, we're not going to even have the process with that guy. Yeah, um, for for the term that the that Attorney-General's in. Um, so, like, the next time now that I have to fight, because I was going to have to start fighting this year, but I don't have to fight until 2025 now. Okay. Wow. Which makes a big difference because even though there would be three years between times that he's having parole, you start fighting before his parole comes up. Like mm-hmm. I would start fighting in February because his parole would come up in September. So I'd start doing the media coverage and that sort of stuff so people know, you know, he's coming up for parole, make a noise so that he doesn't. And then the process of trying to recover from that because it is a very um, emotionally taxing, mentally draining process. Yeah, but it's something you do because my sister meant the world to me and I'm doing everything I can to keep that son of a You can swear. Yeah, you can swear. Son of a bitch in jail. And I I would imagine that even all the period of time in between, you're probably keeping tabs on... You count the years. ...legislation and things like that, changing other people's stories. Yeah, yeah. The, The really strange thing is, is that across Australia, the laws are so out of whack, you know. I mean, the person that killed my sister and her children, so he murdered four people, he gets 20 years strict security life. You had the person that... Um, has killed one person that can get 35 years, you know, and you try and justify that and you think, how does it work? You don't make any sense of the justice system and I just am gobsmacked and that's why things should be on a national level, you know, a set criteria, you know. If someone's proven beyond a doubt that they've done something, 
I mean, four people, he should never be released. You take four lives, you don't deserve to have a life of your own, but there's still still do-gooders out there that will fight to get them released. Oh, they've learnt their lesson, you know. Oh, bullshit. The murder of your sister and her children is really one of the crimes in Western Australia that scarred people. It was so horrific, yeah. like beyond belief. Yeah. So I don't understand how he'd get 20 years. The people in Geraldton and Greenough, because it was a small community back then, you know, there's so many people that were affected by that because it being such a smaller community. Um, I do have contact with quite a few people from there that lived through it because they were friends of my nieces or friends of my sister. And even now they're so traumatised by it, you know, and it affected, it affected them so much at the time as well. And it's just like, <laughs> it's not just, you know, just this little bunch of people. It's thousands of people actually get affected by things like that, you know. When, when you live nearby the place, People think, oh, God, am I safe, you know. And I mean, I can honestly say it because I ended up with PTSD from it, um, which is, I suppose, just understandable. Mm-hmm. Terrified, absolutely terrified of the dark for ages. No one was allowed to jump out and scare me because my hubby used to jump out and scare me all the time <laughs> long before that. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, that stopped when that, when that happened. I was just scared of everything. For the first three years after, I was pretty much useless and that has affected my kids into adulthood. Um, And I feel a lot of guilt over that because, because it just hurts that they didn't understand because they were so young as to why I was the way I was. And... It just makes things hard. You know, I love my girls. We've got four daughters and it affected my oldest one. She was 11 when it happened and she didn't understand why I used to cry all the time and why she couldn't fix me. And so she's more reserved with everyone now. You know, she steps back and she's, you know, she sees everything in a more reserved light and it it breaks my heart because she was such a beautiful girl and because she saw how I was it changed her yeah but you didn't do that to her no but I did because I couldn't control how I was no Mitchell did that to your Mm. entire family you didn't do that to her that's why another reason you should never get out that that impact yeah the only thing well the only thing that kept me going was my kids Mm -hmm. my youngest one especially because she was only three and uh and she needed me and um she ended up she even though she didn't know my sister she had a link to her she'd always growing up she had this link with her and um She um, committed suicide four days after she turned 18 and she, um, when I went to a psychiatrist over her, 
the psychiatrist said, oh, did something happen, you know, when she's like three or four, you know, was there any trauma in her life and that sort of stuff. So I told him what I, what had happened and how I reacted and he said, oh, that's why she did it. No. And I'm like, what the? No, yeah, no. That's... It was one and only time I If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Went to this. <sighs> and I'll tell you what, it was like... Who would say that? You know? Yeah. I felt bad enough that she'd gone, but to it came back to me. No. So I basically, and I don't swear much, but I fucked up my kids' lives because of how I dealt with everything, and it breaks my heart. After the break, Evelyn makes an extraordinary decision to visit the man who murdered her sister. Coming up on Australian True Crime, Evelyn wants us to know every detail of what happened to her family. How would you feel about us talking about the actual events of the night? Would you prefer if I do that separately? Um, I've discussed it many times, so there's stuff obviously that can't be, I can't speak about. And I don't in any way need to get into graphic details. It was night time? Yeah, it was after midnight. Okay, very late. Was everyone asleep? They were all asleep except for Danny. 
So um, he's a teenager. He's sixteen. Yeah. That's what boys are doing, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So she lived out of town on a sort of secluded property, and the Mitchell, who was the person that killed them all, he had helped my sister move stuff from her storage unit to her house over that weekend. And what was uh, their relationship? He was a friend of a friend. They, she wasn't. She wasn't involved with him or anything, and that's the first thing people always think of. But, no, she didn't want a relationship with him or anything like that. I believe that he did, but he was just a friend of a friend and she didn't know him that well. And when he asked, she was, like, not interested. So that's what has come out from her friends and that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. But he turned up sometime after midnight and because it's a long driveway into her house, the dogs were barking, so Danny went out to see what was happening and Mitchell got out the car and left the lights on so the lights were in Danny's face. Uh, this is how the police have said that it happened and and he got out with a, a tomahawk in his hand so obviously Danny wouldn't have seen that. Uh, Danny was six foot four, big kid. Hmm. Uh, Mitchell's like five foot four. Yeah, I guess he just didn't see it coming and yeah, he left him. Left him in the driveway to die and then went inside and did all sorts of things inside and left my sister and the two girls dead as well. So that was how the event played out and some days later he actually attended their (laughs) funeral? Apparently he came to the funeral. I don't recall my husband and myself and my younger brother and his partner we all carried the coffins to the to the dais and put them on the thing so there was a lot of people there a lot of the kids from danny's high school and that sort of stuff they did a um a guard of honor yeah 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 and i don't i don't recall who else was there i can understand two things one that you can't recall anything or much and two, that you and other people could develop PTSD from such an event. It's strange, it's frightening, um, and it could really change the way you think about your community, about your safety, about sleeping, uh, about living remotely out of town. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. A lot of people were traumatised by what happened, mm. especially, you know, two little girls yeah. sleeping in their bed, you know, just... You've seen sleeping babies, mm-hmm. little kids, and you just... What sort of person does that? I don't know. I don't know. That's It's a very baffling story, isn't it? Yeah. Because what do we know about this perpetrator before this? Mitchell, he's a guy rattling around the place who helped your sister move, friend of a friend. Yeah. Um, apparently his excuse was he blamed drugs and alcohol. Um it's one of those things. It's like we've all been stoned and yeah. pissed. Like what on earth? Uh, the thing that has always amazed me is that when the court case happened, we got to see his um, police investigation tape. His interview? Yeah. And uh, he remembers everything. He drove 24 k's out of town to do what he did. He did what he did and then he went back but on the way back to town, he stopped and threw the tomahawk into this um, small dam, I think it was. Who remembers where he did that? So, and then he drove back to town. So, 
He remembers what he did when he was there. Yeah, it just amazes me. I mean, if you're so affected by drugs and alcohol, how do you remember all that? Mm -hmm. It doesn't make sense to me. No. I went and met him in jail. I um, I had that was a big process as well. This is another thing: is that for victims, it's very very hard to get um, the support that you need. Like the criminals, they go to jail, they've got access to psychologists, they can do things to better themselves in case they manage to get out of prison, you know, like education and all that sort of stuff. For years I saw psychologists, psychiatrists, all sorts of things. None of that was paid for except by us, you know, mm -hmm. but they've got everything handed to them on a platter. It just it boggles the mind that they get all the help and victims and their families get nothing. Like we had a little bit of social work from the victims of crime in Perth, but we didn't live in Perth. I can remember the first time I went to a, a social worker in Brisbane and I told her my story to try and get some help, and she's crying. <laughs> and I'm trying to stop her from crying, you know. So the, just those sort of things that you fight through is just boggles the mind and for me to be able to go and see him in jail one I had to go and see a psychologist two I had to have a meeting to discuss what I wanted to say to him and what I wanted to ask him and everything like that if he didn't agree to that meeting then it wasn't allowed to go ahead you know so it all was for him and in the whole process of when he went to when he got sentenced, he got twenty years strict security life. We didn't think that was good enough. We thought he should never get released. They had the opportunity to do never to be released, mm -hmm. and they didn't do it. So we appealed, and he got the never to be released. And then he got the last appeal, and it went back to twenty years strict security life. Strict security life means that he's in prison in a segregated part where he's protected. So he's not in general population where people in general population don't like people who do things to kids. So he's protected. He's always protected. When I went and saw him in jail, he did agree. And um, and it was uh, it was an empowering thing for me. They kept, like before I went in, they kept saying to me, um, you know, what are you going to ask him? I said, I'm not going to ask him anything. I said, I'm going to tell him what's important to me is my sister. The fact that I love her, I told him about my sister's life, what she'd gone through and what she'd fought to overcome. I told him how much she meant to me and I told him that as long as I had breath in my body, I was going to do everything I could to keep him in jail for life. And um, that's what I'll do. And then when I came out of that thing, because there was, there was me on one side of the table, him on the other side, and there was two mediators in the middle. So there was no one between us. So what was his demeanour when you... Obviously, he agreed to meet you. He did, yeah. So it was his decision. Mm -hmm. um, so you, you went in there. Yeah. Did he look you in the eye when you came in? Okay. So... 
what happened is you just have this rectangular room and there's two doors in, one on each end. Um, myself and the two mediators went in first and they sat on either side of the table and I sat at, at the head of the table. But before I sat down, I thought I'd just stand to the side so that I could see him come in from where he was coming in so I could prepare myself. Because mm. the night before I'd gone and stood on the beach and I said to my sister, I said, give me the strength to get through this, to just let him know how important you are to me. Just give me the strength without crying. I don't want to cry in front of him. And so I thought if I stood and saw him before he saw me that I would prepare myself better. So I, um, I, was, I was standing off to the side and I saw him come and I just thought, he's just an everyday person. You know, he wasn't any taller than me. He, you, you would have passed him in the street and you wouldn't even have given him a thought, you know. Mm. And um, he came in and he didn't look at me and the um, the two people that were with me said hello and I waited until he sat down. I guess it's a power play. Mm. If that was, my, that was how my mind was thinking, you know. I'm not going to let him have the power over me. I want the power over him. And I, I waited until he sat down, and then I sat down. And he is breathing. You know when you're really nervous and you go, <sighs> he is breathing like that. And I said to him, he still hadn't looked at me, and I said, first thing I want to say is thank you. And his eyes just like, his head was down. When I said that, he just looked up straight up and he just looked at me. I said, I want to thank you for giving me this opportunity to tell you what I want to tell you. And then I went through the process and told him what my sister had gone through, what she'd achieved, where she was heading, how important she was to me. Mm. I let him know how much I'd loved my sister. She was there for me when I was a kid, you know, she protected me when I was a kid. I couldn't protect her. My sister was molested from the age of seven to 12 by a family member, and she protected me from that. And she, was, she always looked out for me until she, until she left home. And she did leave home young, but she protected me while she was there. And by the time she left, the, the person who'd hurt her was not in our family anymore so um yeah so uh, that's why it makes me so angry that the way she died was i mean her details were released it was the details for the kids that wasn't released so unfortunately i know all the details because i was in the court case if people knew that he would never ever ever be released you know mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so I just told him straight out. Do you think that that it got to him? Was he listening to you when you told him exactly who your sister was and how strong a person she was and everything she had overcome, the warrior that she was? Was he listening? Um, I don't know, but I'm pretty sure he knows that he's not going to get out of there without one hell of a fight. Well, that's a really good point. Was he understanding the warrior you are when um, you were talking? Well, I didn't cry, mm. which made me feel extremely powerful. Good. Um, I sort of was 
afterwards, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like I was still powerful for a fair bit, but then, you know, you, you go in a slump because it takes so much out of you. Yeah. Um, and I just, I just I let him know that my sister was strong for what she'd gone through and what she'd achieved and everything like that. Yeah. And people might see her as a single mum and living in this dingy little house, but she had plans for that house, you know, the fact that she even managed to buy it and get it moved to that property. And Babe, I think a single mum is as powerful as it gets, believe me. I don't, there's nothing... Oh. <sighs> I was not looking down on her for a single second, no. I promise yeah. you. <laughs> a lot of people did, you know. And a lot of people are fucking assholes. <laughs> we are not them. Yeah. yeah. No, this is true. Um, you know, it's <laughs> definitely true. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, it it was something I really needed to do yeah. because I'm sick to death of, you know, out of out of everyone, my sister meant the world to me yeah. more than anyone else in my family. She was she was it, you know. It was always her and I against the world. And uh, it might be a terrible thing to say for the rest of my family, but they all know it's true, you know. That's why I fight for her. So you have mentioned a couple of times this issue that the the court suppressed the details around the crime. As part of your campaign, you've raised the issue of wanting those details made public. The court decided that they should never be known. He was pretty sick, you know. For people who fight to say, you know, he's done his time, let him out, it's like, yeah, well, you weren't in that court. And, you know, even the day that I was in court, listening to all this, the police said to me, make sure you don't say anything because if you do anything or say anything, they'll evict you from the court. I can't remember. Something, something happened. It's, it's like I, I can't even remember what it was, but I, I made a noise and moved forward and the cops grabbed me, not not in a mean way. They were, you know, yeah. the detectives and that they, they grabbed me and just held me. I just, I don't know even what I was going to do. I was just, I was just like, Ugh. and I just went to move forward and they just grabbed me and they said, you know, stay calm. But, you know, he's protected in court. He's protected in jail. He's protected from everything. And it just makes me sick. And to me, it, it, it even it further isolates you mm-hmm. that you have to know this piece of information and no one in the broader community knows that you yeah. can't talk to us about it. You can't talk to your neighbour about it. You can't talk to a friend about it. I don't know that you'd want to. But the point is, it's like you have to hold this terrible piece of information in your mind and soul. Mm. But it's so awful that the rest of the community can't know it. It's like so isolating. And it goes back to what you were saying before. But we won't pay for you to have counselling about it. Yeah. You know, no. we won't provide you with assistance to deal with it. No. And that's the thing is that um, and we've there's many times when I haven't gone to counselling because I hadn't been able to afford it. You know? Yeah. And um, you know, it, and it, it peaks and troughs over the years on how I handle it. Um, a couple of years ago, I was having a, it. It was the last time I had to um, that I had to fight to keep him in jail. And I had so many other things going on, like my best friend was dying of cancer. I found out that I had two aneurysms, or well, I found out I had one aneurysm in my head, and we'd moved from Perth to Victoria, 
and my husband had only been in casual employment, so all that was mm. adding up. It was just a whole mixture of things, and I crashed and burned, and I have never been so low in all my life, and I was still doing interviews on the TV and the radio and that sort of stuff, which was, you know, we'd only been over here a couple of years, but I had a really good bunch of friends at the place I was working at, and one of the bosses there actually said that she knew someone who might be able to help me because I'd been to counsellors and psychiatrists and psychologists and you might get a little bit of help here and there but it's Mm. very hard for people to understand unless they've actually been in the situation. Yeah, you would need a specialist kind of counsellor, right? There should be specialty counselling for victims of crime and families of victims of crime. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. But this um, psychiatrist that I went to, uh, I was given a name by and I went to him, it was um, EDMR. Sort of, it's like eye movement. Oh, I um, think I've so, heard of that, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. Oh, really? Okay. It's like yeah. um, it's where you move your eyes certain directions or oh. something. What happened is I would go into the counselling session and we would talk about whatever experience it was that I'm having trouble dealing with. And then they would just tap one leg then the other and then the other or whether it would be the hand yeah, and yeah. so it makes both sides of your brain work and um because I was suicidal then mm-hmm. that was the lowest I had ever got because I it had just been so much and um I'd been fighting it I didn't want to go on antidepressants I didn't want to see any more counselors because to me it didn't help and my doctor was adamant you know you need this help because you won't get through it otherwise and the day that I broke down at work, my hubby come picked me up from work and um, I'd been seeing my doctor weekly and talking to her and everything like that and I hadn't been confiding in my husband as to I just said that I can't take anymore and that was it. And he sort of was like, you've said that over the years but you keep fighting, you know, but I had nothing left to give. And... I went into my doctor's and and I was, like I said, I was at the lowest and I just said, I will do whatever you tell me to. And she got me onto antidepressants and she got, I, I went to this, um, this guy and he was bloody amazing. And uh, I've been really good. He said, do you have that I had at least, he said, most people have one or two major traumas in your, mm-hmm. their life. He said, you've had five and, you know, just have to um, go through one at a time and it's extremely draining but it was certainly worth doing. If you feel you need to talk to somebody about anything in this episode, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. Thank you for downloading this episode of Australian True Crime. We'll be back next week.
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello, Michelle Laurie here, and as promised, I am thrilled to announce that our tickets for Australian True Crime Live are now available. Join me in Sydney, Brisbane and or Melbourne this July. You can come to all three if you want. These tickets are expected to go very quickly, so be sure to secure yours by visiting the link in our podcast bio or you can head over to the Australian True Crime Facebook page. There'll be a nice link there for you. If you've been a listener for any length of time, you'll know how passionate I am about true crime stories from Australia. I'm looking very forward to an incredible evening together with you sharing these captivating tales. We will have great guests as well, so you know we love love a Q&A. If you've ever come along to an Australian true crime live gig, you'll know we love a Q&A with our guests. Don't miss out. Book your tickets today and I'll see you in July for a memorable night out.